Hello and welcome to another episode of CP Speaks. I'm your host, Adeolu Adeferasin, and today I want to talk about waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. What does it mean to wait on the Lord? In Psalms 27 verse 14, it says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And I'm trying to understand the importance of waiting. What does it mean to wait? Why is the Bible so hard-pressed on the idea of waiting on the Lord? And there's something that God has been showing me and he used the idea and the story of Job to show it to me. The reason that we are so enamored by Job-like faith and we're so in awe of it and we so desire that kind of faith Though, albeit, let's be honest, not with that kind of testing, is because waiting on the Lord and patience in God is proven when you have a deeper like and love for God than you do for his gifts. So what happens is Satan, translated to be the accuser, comes up to God and he says, You keep talking about this guy, Job, like he's so great. And the reality of Job is the reason he honors you, the reason he keeps your word is because you've given him all these gifts. I bet that if you were to take all these gifts away from you, he will swear against you, he will condemn you, and he will rebuke you as God. And so God says, go ahead. You can touch everything around him, but do not touch him himself. And we are so enamored with the idea of Job because Job does not condemn God. Job loses his entire family and the first thing he says is, The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. And that is such a powerful example of what it is to love God more than you love the gifts of God and the reason that God and I relate this to patience is the reason that God is so enamored and so caught up with the idea of our patience and our being able to wait on him is that God wants people who value him more than the gift and otherwise what happens is If the lack of the gift or the waiting on the gift or the gift not coming is enough for you to get into a position or get to a place where you start to question God, then what has happened is you value the gift more than you respect and honor the person who gave you the gift. And the only way to know that this person truly values the giver more than they value the gift is to see how they behave and they respond in the seasons without the gift and so god wants to get you in a position i have promised you something i have told you that i will do something and i am god whatever i say i will do i will do but before that thing comes will you stay honoring me Will you stay loving me? Will you stay consistent in me? Will you stay reveling in who I am? Will you continue to 
to lift me up. God wants to know that you are able and willing to honor him in spite of the gift. Because that is what Job was able to do. Job, yes, got to a point where he had to ask God that, yo, what's going on? But Job never stopped honoring God. He never stopped being diligent. He never stopped being obedient to God and to the things of God. God wants to know that whether you have it or you don't have it, you'll honor me. Whether you have it or you don't have it, you'll love me. Whether you have it or you don't have it, you'll speak honor about my name. God wants to know that if it is not about the gift, but it's about who he is. God wants to know it's not about the gift, but it's about who he is. Because the gift is not the definition of God. The gift is just an example of the power of God. It is not the only example of the power of God. It is not the only example of the providence of God. It is not the only example of the proof that God is able to do what he says he will do. The gift is just an example of the power of God. And God wants to know that without me having to prove myself to you, will you stand by me? Without me having to prove myself to you, will you stand for me? Without me having to prove myself to you, will you obey me? Without me having to prove myself to you, will you love me? God wants to know that people are going to be willing to wait on him, to sit in the power of who he is, to sit honoring him, to sit respecting him, to sit adoring him, and to continually rest in who he is. God wants to know that you're not going to judge yourself by the circumstance of the things around you. And so another important aspect of this waiting on the Lord is, like I said, it's this defining what is good. Defining what is good. Because God wants to know, because what I found so often is, even when you go to church, right, they'll talk about spiritual blessings. But when they're busy defining spiritual blessings, they're going to tell you about financial prosperity. Going to tell you about what it's like to have. They're going to tell you about open doors of opportunities and all those things that sound real gingered and sound real good. But God wants to know whether... The thing that you get, right, does that define you more than I define you? Because we've gone to a place where we start to misdefine success. We're defining success by the world's standards. And as long as you're defining success by the standards of the world, you will always think that you're doing something wrong or God is incapable of something because your vision is not aligned with the vision of God. And so God wants us to correct the way we see things. He wants us to not be caught up in the gift because the gift, more often than not, the way we see it is a form of worldly success. And we have this huge problem in Nigeria. We have this massive problem where we seem to honor money more than we honor how people earned that money. And so what we find ourselves doing is we condemn the idea of corruption, condemn the idea of Yahoo boys. But then when somebody who does Yahoo and when somebody who has corruptly gained the finances that they have and the power that they have comes in front of you, you'll still bow down. 
you'll still do ballet. You'll still heal them. You'll still talk about how great it is they are. Have you seen their house? Have you seen all the cars that they have? Have you seen the things that is going around in them, around them? Have you seen the amount of babes that they have their side? And God is saying, nah, 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 nah. You need to stop defining things by the world's definition of success or you're always going to be tripping. You're always going to get it wrong. You're always going to be misaligned because the thing that the world defines as success is not how I define success. Just God just doesn't do it that way. God said that according to him, Joseph was successful. Yes, Joseph was favored. That's good. But even when he was favored, he was a favored slave. And I don't know about you, I want to be a slave. Favored or not favored, I don't want to be a slave. And favored or not, he was a prisoner. And so he was still held in captivity. And so the world's definition of success would say, I mean, this guy is successful. He's just surviving. But God said he was successful. Why did God say he was successful? Because he stood on the word of God. He stood on the power of God. He stood in respect of God. He continued to align himself with God. He never let his situation define his behavior. And so while we get caught up in the way that the world defines success, and God is trying to warn us and trying to alert us to the fact that if you're defining success by the things that you have, then you're completely misaligned with me. If you're defining success by the gift, and because you don't have the gift yet, you think you're failing, you're not aligned with me. Because God wants people who are patient. Because a patient person honors God irrespective of their situation. A patient person considers themselves successful simply because the person that they're loving on is the Jehovah Jireh. Because the person that they're loving on is the maker of the heavens and the earth. Because the person that they're loving on is the God who was, is, and forevermore shall be. The one who speaks a thing and it surely comes to pass. And so they don't have to see it come to pass simply because God said it. It must have come to pass. You haven't seen it manifest yet, but you already know because the God that you serve is great. And so I want to take you quickly to the book of Psalms, Psalms 37. In Psalms 37, now I'm going to read from verse 1 all the way to verse 9. It says, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring to pass all that he has said. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. God wants to change perspective. 
God wants to change the way you see things and the way you define things. God is saying, don't get caught up in people who you see doing wicked things but appear to be successful. Don't get caught up in people who seem to do things the wrong way but appear to have and you seem to be living in lack. Because the only problem that you're having right now is not that you lack the things that they lack or that they have, but simply because you do not see the way that God sees because you have not got a godly vision yet. You see, because the thing is you're defining success by the world's definition you're defining success by they did this and they were willing to cut through and cut corners and yet they have the big house yet they're the ones that you know can put afford to take their kids to the most expensive schools and god is saying don't fret don't worry don't get anxious because all anxiety is going to do is going to make you try and act in the way that they are acting because you think that is what brings success but if you stay with me i will cover you with my righteousness I will be faithful and I will dress you in my faithfulness. He's saying as long as you stand in me, you will see. Because the reality of it is that yes, the people that do wicked, that seem to be getting away with their skims, they will surely be cut off. They will surely be cut off. And the thing is, the reason I say it's because you do not have perspective and so you start to see them as successful is because we get caught up in the world. We get caught up in the world because the world is what we see. It is what you see with your naked eyes. But God is saying the world is just a transportation vehicle by which you get into the spiritual realm where existence is eternal. And so if you have been living your time on earth the way the wicked seem to be, when they get to this place of eternity, what will happen is their life will be cut short and there will be no eternity for them. So when they get out of this place where they seem to be doing good and things seem to be cushy and things seem to be great, and they find out that they end up in this eternal damnation because they chose to forsake the things of the spirit, God is saying you, however, will be in your season of prosperity. You will be in your season of fulfillment. You will be in the season by which you see the manifestation of my word. And the difference between them and you is that where they got something short term, you get it for eternity. And so God wants us to understand the importance of a change in perspective. That's why the Bible says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. God is trying to change the way you think. He's trying to change the way you see. He's trying to have you look at a different plane and a different perspective and start to see the way he sees. He's trying to open your eyes to see in 360. He's trying to open your eyes to see the totality of the vision that he has for you. He's trying to open your eyes so you stop seeing the thing right in front of you because we get caught up by the thing right next to us when God is taking us in a place that is so much further and so much deeper god is once more out of you god wants to do so much more with you but you've got to change the way you see it is very hard to be patient when your perspective is out of whack it is very hard to be patient when your perspective is out of whack god wants to know that you will stand firm with him but the first thing he's got to do is renew your mind renew your wisdom renew your vision have you seeing differently stop seeing the way the world sees because the world sees short term the way the world sees is very caught up in you know the immediate things we're caught up in instant gratification god wants to know that you will delay your gratification to be able to sit in long-term prosperity what happened so often with the people in the bible who were willing to be patient 
people that were willing to be patient were speaking about them to this day. We're speaking today about Joseph. Joseph didn't rush to get the vision. He didn't try and force the vision to manifest itself. Yes, he was caught up in himself the moment he got the word, started speaking to everyone about it, and it got him in a little bit of trouble. But no matter what trouble it got him in, he behaved himself. He stayed aligned. He said, I'm not going to sleep with Potiphar's wife. I'm not going to be a reckless prisoner. I'm not going to be a crazy slave. I'm going to align myself with God. I'm not going to forsake him. I'm not going to leave him because he does not leave me nor forsake me. So why should I leave him or forsake him? Because my God is the one that stands and never leaves us. He's the one who leaves the 99 to chase the one. And so Joseph persisted. And today we speak about Joseph as successful. Why? Because Joseph was the one who changed his vision and perspective. Because when he was young and he had the dream, the first thing he thought of was, ah, my older brothers are going to be buying in front of me. But God said, no, let me fix up that perspective. Let me take you through some turmoil and some hurt. And you go through slavery and you're wondering how things are going to work out for you. And you go through being a prisoner and you're wondering how things are going to work out for you. And you're thrown into a pit and your brother's trying to kill you. And you wonder how things are going to work out for you. But God gave him a new perspective because God gave him a lowered perspective. God took him from the perspective of one who starts to look down on people bowing down to him to being somebody who understood the perspective of being down and looking up. And Bomi, being a, who being in a position, was no longer thinking from a position of authority or controlling people but now he did not see brothers bowing down in front of him by the time he was prime minister he saw people by which he had to co to cover so people he had to favor so people he had to protect so people he had to love but until god changed that perspective of you in the season of waiting you're going to undervalue the gift that he's giving you so god wants you to value the gift and the only way to value the gift is by learning to see the perspective of God. The only way to truly value the gift is by learning to see the way God is doing things, what God is doing, what God is trying to pull out of you. We're trying to get into a relationship with God. It's trying to be in a position where you're valuing the gift simply because the gift is not, does not have authority over you. The gift is not being worshipped by you. But because you're not looking at the gift and you're looking at God, when the gift comes, you know how to mold the gift the way God would mold the gift because you're being guided by God. And because God is the greatest potter, he is the greatest one who knows how to turn clay into a beautiful piece of pottery that is amazing. That's why we say that he is the potter and I am the clay because he knows how to mold us just right. And so when he gives us a gift, you'll learn how to mold it just right too because you're looking at him, you're not looking at the clay. You're not worshipping the clay. You're not expecting the clay to do greater things for you. God wants to fix up that perspective. And so one thing that I'm learning is that the, there is a synchronicity between vision and patience. It is very hard to be patient if you do not have vision. It is very hard to be patient if you do not know what you are looking to. It is very hard to be patient if you do not know why you are being patient. And I'll show this to you. Because often when the Bible chooses and mentions patience, it does so from the landscape of vision. In the book of Habakkuk, the Bible says, Habakkuk 2, that's like one of my favorite verses, y'all going to hear it often. Habakkuk 2, verses 2 to 3. Then the Lord answered me saying, write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end, it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. 
So it might be taking some time for the thing to come to pass. But because God has given you a vision, you have something to stand on. You have a bedrock by which to put your faith. You have a thing that you know you're being guided by. Therefore, someone telling you go left or go right does not listen because the thing that God has put is in front of you. And so you know where you're going and you can be patient because the thing that you are heading towards is of more value because you are willing to take your time in order to get there. Where you're trying to find shortcuts and beat your way or accept little things that seem bigger because they're bigger than where you are today but God is saying I want somebody who is willing to endure because I want somebody who values me more than the thing at the end of the line he wants people who are willing to stand firm you see when Jesus came to earth he came to earth to die for our lives that we might be saved and have salvation and everything not some things but everything that jesus did was geared towards that so and even his brothers tried to tell him that if you want the biggest crowd you've got to go over here to speak he said no and when they try to get him to answer questions where questions would have gotten him in trouble prematurely he was silent because god jesus was tactical and strategic and followed the vision And so therefore you do not move left or move right simply because people are moving left and moving right. You do not move left and move right simply because the crowd are in the left or in the right. We're not here for people's attention. We're not here for people's regard. We're not here to serve people. We're not here for people to lift us up. We're here for God to lift us up and to be lifted up by God and to lift him up. And so therefore our focus has to be the vision. And as long as it takes, no matter how long it takes, I'm going to stand by that vision because God has given me the vision for a reason. And therefore every single thing I'm going to do is going to be to honor the vision that's exactly what jesus did jesus knew exactly how to be strategic he knew exactly how to speak when he should speak he knew when the people were going were looking to 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 condemn him and to say that he didn't know how to keep the sabbath he knew exactly how to answer the questions in a way that he would endure himself to the perfect time had come until he was in his 33rd year and he was in a place where it was time for me now to get on the cross for you i've done what i was meant to do here on earth i fulfilled my three years of ministry you see jesus knew the importance of being in alignment with the vision and even jesus got to a place of being like well oh god i won't do this but he said nevertheless not my will but yours and so jesus made sure he consistently aligned himself with the vision of his father and so that is what we are here to to mold ourselves under and mold ourselves after is around the vision and another example of where vision and patience are announced and spoken of together is james 1 it's another popular scripture but i want to just highlight this to you the bible says in verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy as you go through your various trials, knowing that by the testing of your faith, producing patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And then here we go. If anyone lacks wisdom, wisdom being revelation, revelation being vision and understanding. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives it liberally and without reproach. I always wondered, why is it these two things are mentioned together? Why is it that I've got to start worrying about whether I have wisdom when I'm going through my trials and my tribulations and I'm trying to wonder how to have patience? Like, why is God trying to work my patience through my situation, through my hardship? I'm not looking for patience. I'm looking for strength. But God is saying, patience is what I want out of you. I want you to have the ability to go through the situation, to go through your hardships, to go through your trials and stand in them. And then he says that you might lack nothing. And that your patience 
maketh you perfect. And it says, if anyone lacks wisdom, a.k.a. revelation and vision, ask God who gives it freely. Because the reason that you are unable to be patient and you're unable to count it joy when you're going through your trial and your situation is because you do not have vision. And because you do not see, because you lack wisdom, because you don't know where you're going, your situation and your trial seems to be knocking you off your feet. And God is saying, if you come to me, I will give you wisdom freely. I will give you revelation. I will birth the vision inside of you. And the moment you have the vision, the vision will enact, will, 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 um, will set on fire your capacity to align with the word and to endure the pain that you're going through because all of a sudden there's a reason to endure the pain. And so God wants people who are willing to wait on him for the mere reason that when you are willing to wait on the Lord, when you are willing to wait on the vision, when you are willing to seek his face for direction, when you're willing to stand through all your situations, what you're really saying is, come what may, whether I get it or I don't get it, I trust you, God. Whether I get it or I don't get it, I love you, God. Whether I get it or I don't get it, you are my God. Therefore, I will stand in you, stand for you, stand by you. I'm not looking to see whether I get it or not. What does it say in the second half of Hebrews 11? It talks about all the people who didn't get what they were waiting for on earth, but the truth is that they counted it great because they knew that they were looking to something eternal on the other side because God is looking for people who are willing to wait on him and not to value him based on the gift but to value him based on who he is so will you wait on the Lord the real question is will you wait on the Lord the real question is will you value God over everything thank you and God bless